So this is Genesis chapter 1, right to the beginning of the Bible. This is just the first six days of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning. The second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and, gathered and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds and it was so the land produced vegetation plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, 
Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Amen. Thanks so much to Martin. Um, Ben Dawes, uh, one of the members of the congregation here, is going to be preaching and kicking off our new series on um, embodied discipleship. So, Ben. Thanks, Thanks, Martin. You really gave that uh, reading, I think, the grandeur that it deserved. Good morning, everyone. I'm sure we're very familiar with what this book is. It's the Bible. Um, It covers more ground than any book ever written. And yet, if we wanted to sum it up or boil it down, boil it down again some more, and then boil it down again some more, you could probably say that it comes down to one person and two events. That one person, the hero of the Bible, is Jesus, The first event, that was Jesus' first coming to earth. And event two was Jesus' or will be Jesus' second coming. In Jesus' first coming, he came to deal with sin. And in his second coming, he'll come to reign with those saved from sin. So that's it. The summary of the Bible boiled down one person and two events. Yet to understand this one person and two events, we really need a foundation. And that's what Genesis is. Genesis literally translated from the Greek means origins. Genesis gives us the origins for the heavens and the earth. It gives us the origins of humanity, the origins of sin, the origins of God's plan to deal with sin, the origins of family, the origins of marriage, the origins of the nation of Israel, the origins of human government itself. Everything in terms of origins is covered in the book of Genesis. And as we start our new sermon series on the human bodies, which will cover the next seven weeks, we'll be exploring what the Bible has to say about our body and how we can apply that to our life. 
So for our opening talk, as you can see on the slide here, created bodies, where better to start than Genesis? And where better to start than Genesis 1, where God made all things? So today we're going to unpack verses 26 to 31. And we're going to do so by covering three areas. The first area, we're going to look at who made our bodies. We're then going to look at how we were made. And then finally, we're going to look at what were we made for. So if you have a Bible, open it up and turn to chapter 1 and verse 26. So if we can go to our first slide. So chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, it said, Then God said, Let us make mankind. Fundamental to understanding our created bodies is obviously understanding who created them. And the first thing that may jump out to you, as it did to me reading this passage, is the plural us. Let us make mankind in our image. Jewish scholars who are obviously only looking at that the Old Testament piece here, take this to mean the angels who are with God present at the time of that creation. That's what the plural is all about. But as Christians, we're reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, and as we read it through thoroughly, we begin to understand a core tenet of our faith. And that is God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Job 33 in the Old Testament said that the Spirit... He was knocking around at the creation of the earth. And in the New Testament, we hear that Jesus was also there. The three persons of God were active in all elements of our human creation. And the point to make is this. All parts of God are still active in our lives today. God the Father didn't quit after the Old Testament. God the Son didn't stop doing his job when he ascended up to heaven, and God the Holy Spirit didn't start his job when Pentecost came. The three persons of God were active in the beginning, before creation, at creation. They're active today, and they will be active for all eternity. My second point to make here is this. Humans were intentionally created by a creator. The human body is pretty amazing, isn't it? My Dad was actually a biology teacher, so growing up on a daily, weekly basis, I used to hear just how amazing the human body was. Probably in more detail than I'd like, but more recently, however, I picked up this book by Bill Bryson called The Body, and if you haven't read it, I really encourage you to read it. It's absolutely fantastic. And my mind was blown with so many amazing facts about how how amazing and intricate our bodies are. For example, since I've started talking, these are some of the facts coming out of the book, five minutes ago, since then, your bodies will have made, on average, 480 million red blood cells. I mean, it's ridiculous. Slightly more gruesome, you produce 40,000 litres of spit in your lifetime. Even slightly more disgusting, we wee or urinate enough every month to fill a bath. There's some great facts in here. But beyond these rather slightly odd facts, what I found really interesting was when Bill Bryson goes on to describe the theoretical cost to build a human body 
requiring the 59 elements of the periodic table. And guess who they used to base this cost on? Benedict Cumberpatch, the actor, who apparently is the most average of average of average men that exist out there. Although I'm sure he wouldn't want to be described as that. And the answer to the cost, in terms of how much it would cost to build him, was £130,000, not including labour. <laughs> Bill Bryson goes on to say, and I quote, everything that's in you is exactly the same stuff that you would find in a pile of dirt. But in a pile of dirt, obviously, it just lies there. It doesn't do anything. And yet somehow, for reasons we really don't understand, you put them in a human form and they start to reproduce and they become animate, and we get life. And he hits on what remains one of the most rem sort of challenging questions in modern biology, which is, how does life happen? Now, intelligent design by a creator versus the Big Bang and consequent evolution is a debate that's gone on for centuries. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, and I'm not qualified to do so. But this topic deserves much more than just what I'm going to touch on today. But I did want to make one top-line observation here. And that is that we need to stop labeling the debate science versus God. Science means knowledge. An alternative explanation for an intelligent creator means that you have to start with something coming out of nothing. That's a theory, and it's not knowledge. And if you haven't read this book by John Lennox called God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God? Again, I'd really strongly encourage you to do so. He's a professor of maths at the University of Oxford, and he's obviously, if you go on YouTube, you can watch many debates of him going head-to-head -head with Richard Dawkins on these matters. Um, and he really unpacks this well. He's, he really gets that balance right of understanding the science, but also reconciling that with his faith. So I just wanted to summarize this section with a little quote from him that he gives at the end of this book. And this is what he says, and I quote, in conclusion, I submit, far from science having buried God, not only do the results of science point towards his existence, but the scientific enterprise itself is validated by his existence. End quote. So as Christians, let's celebrate and thank God for the bodies that he gave us. Let's engage in the science and the pursuit of learning more about our incredible biology. And at the end of the day, let's worship him for it. So having looked at who Genesis said made us, let's now look at how we were made by that creator. So if we can go on to the next slide for our second section. So if you can turn back to your Bible, look at verses 26 to verses 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does this mean? God created the skies, he created the seas, he created the birds, the plants, the fish, but he created humans uniquely in his own image. So what does that mean, made in the image of God. Well, it can't mean that Adam looked like God physically because we read in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. What it's likely to mean is that made in God's image means that we have 
a mental, moral, and social similarity to God's image. So I want to look at those three elements. This is what makes us distinct from all other creatures that God created. So first, mentally, we're made in the image of God. Humans were made rational, and they were given free will. We have reason, and we have choice. So every time you use your brain to write an email, which I'm sure we do many times a day, split a bill at a restaurant, or when you plan for your future, you proclaim the fact that you were made in God's image. Morally, we were created in the image of God too. Humans were created in perfect innocence, we read in Genesis 1. God saw all that he had made, and he said that it was very good. Our conscience, you often hear this, or moral compass, people often describe it as. I mean, that's one of the remaining vestiges we have of that original state before the fall that we later read about in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve deliberately chose to sin against God. So whenever you feel tempted to do something that you know is wrong, but you resist that urge, you're demonstrating the fact that you're made in the image of God. You may be thinking, hang on, when I look around the world, and when I look around Bath and I look around Coombe Down, it's not always obvious that everyone I see is a great likeness to the image of God. And I think if we look at ourselves internally, we obviously can't claim to always be that perfect likeness of the image of God. And that's a fair observation. And that's because what we touched on earlier, that Adam and Eve chose that free will given to them by God to rebel against God. In committing sin, they infected some of that image of God within them and passed that virus down to all future generations, including us today. Today, we still bear the image of God, but we also bear the scars of sin, mentally, morally, socially, and physically. So we've looked at being made in God's image, but let's now also look at what this truth of being made in the image of God means for our value as humans. Our society consciously and unconsciously tell us that our human worth and the worth of our bodies is often sat in things like the quantity of stuff we own, the quality of stuff we own, our relationships, our education, how many followers we might have, our family, our careers, our contribution or good works to society, or even our physical attractiveness, and the list goes on. And if we're honest, we often sometimes fall into that trap ourselves in evaluating others. But verses 26 and verses 27 are clear, that our worth, the worth of our human body, is not based on our possessions, our achievements, our good deeds, or even our physical attractiveness. Instead, it's being made, it's based on being made in that image of God, the one who created us. So what should we do about this today? So firstly, let's, in our day-to-day lives, try and not adopt the same approach that our culture does to evaluating other humans and the worth of their life and the worth of their body. Treat all humans as equal from conception all the way until birth. Secondly, remember your own personal self-worth. Even if the world doesn't see you, your life, or your body as a particularly valuable asset, God does, because he made you deliberately in his own image. 
And the final part of today's message, if we can move on to the next slide, looks at why we've been made in the image of God. So if we look at verses 28 to 30, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. So two points to make here. The first point I want to make is we were made to rule the earth with responsibility. So having made humankind in his image, he also gave humans a very special responsibility. And that is to rule over and subdue everything that he had made. You may say as Christians, care for creation or the wider creation is a secondary responsibility. That sits behind care for all other humans. After all, the planet is going to be renewed at Christ's second coming. And you're right. However, when God passed down some of his authority to humankind, he expected us to take responsibility for the rest of what he had created. The creation story in Genesis 1 that we've just heard, read, it makes it really clear that God made the earth in a very careful and deliberate way. And we must therefore not be careless about how we look after it and how we operate in it. We serve God by managing the planet and its resources in a way that reflects his image in us. I believe, however, this isn't the best motivator for our Christian concern over this planet's condition. The best thing that should motivate us as Christians to care about this planet is actually love for other people. When we abuse our position given to us by God and the responsibility that we have over this planet, we are hurting and not loving our neighbor. Polluting water upstream, when we know downstream people are washing in it and drinking it, is not loving our neighbor. Air pollution damages the air that our neighbors breathe in and it makes them sick. And many people are dying all over the world as a result of that. Rising sea levels are destroying people's homes all over the world. As Christians, we're called to have an eternal focus and to keep our eyes on those things and not put too much emphasis on this earth. However, while we are on this earth, we do need to exercise that authority in loving care for all that God has created, including the rest of humanity. The final point to make here is that God has made us in his own image because he also wants to glorify us in those daily tasks that we have. I love what the message version says in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Over Christmas, I read, uh, oh, Joe Swinney's in the room, I went to some of her uh, Advent calendar, or Advent devotional, uh, not Advent calendar, her Advent devotional, and I love what she actually said on this topic. 
We've not been made to sit in permanent, isolated contemplation. Our challenge is this, to embrace the day's work as our God-given purpose and to do it as the divine image-bearer that we are. Writing emails, gardening, cooking, making the bed or parenting, it all matters. It's the work of managing God's world on his behalf. So in response to this, let me give you a couple of challenges. First, how are you going to live your day-to-day life this week, this month, this year in a way that demonstrates your God-given responsibility towards the rest of creation and other human beings? And secondly, try reminding yourself on a day-to-day basis that God is glorified when you reflect his character in carrying out just those daily mundane tasks that we have. So in summary, final slide. Genesis tells us, or Genesis 1 tells us, that God created our bodies. It tells us that he made us in his own image. And it tells us that he made us for a purpose. Remember how we started. The Bible can be summarized into one person and two events. Genesis gives us the foundation for this. And Genesis 1 gives us the foundation for our bodies. It not only tells us that we were created by God... But more importantly, it actually reveals an element of who God is. It reveals God's deepest desire to relate and fellowship with the people that he created, us, you. God took that ultimate step in fellowship with us through his historic visit to this planet, event one. God thought our bodies and our souls were so valuable that he should take on a human body himself. God the Son voluntarily laid down his body on the cross so that you and I would not need to suffer for the punishment of our sins. We can now know this God in a very personal way and receive forgiveness for our sins. So finally, the point to make here is there is hope. No matter how dark the world situation seems, God is in control. No how, like, I suppose no matter how insignificant you feel that your life or your body is, God deliberately created you in the way that he created you. This week, in every interaction that you have with others, in every task, whether it's an exciting task or whether it's a boring task, I really pray that we'll reflect the fact that we were created in the image of God.